to Matthew chapter 16, verse number 21. We'll read 21 through 23. Praise God. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. Jesus is speaking to his disciples about what he is intending to do. And he is speaking to them about Jerusalem, about the things that are going to transpire. And there is a statement of the amazing kind that is found on the lips of Peter. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. But Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Praise God. Statements of the amazing kind. This is one of those statements in this particular passage of Scripture which comes on the heels of Peter making the claim, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in just a few verses, he turns around and he makes this admission. Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And the Savior turns and looks at him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Right after saying, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Within just a few verses, there is, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Praise God. Statements of the amazing kind. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We ask that you would direct us today. We thank you for the presence of God that we feel in this place. We give to you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There, you can be seated. Thank you. There are many passages of Scripture where we can find amazing things that people say. And I just want to point out a few of those here this morning. By way of context and introduction, though, Matthew chapter 16 is a great passage of Scripture. Jesus takes the disciples out to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, which is a, a region that would have been in his day, much like the red light district. He takes them out into that region. You can visit a place there. You can visit Caesarea Philippi. You can see a temple that is built, a grotto that is built. Uh, the temple is built in front of the grotto. There is a there's a, several temples and there's several worship areas of the god Pan. It's a very licentious, immorality, Im, immoral place. Now, ironic that Jesus would take him to this place and say to them, uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The disciples listened to that. And Jesus asked them, who, who do you say that I am? Who do men say that I am? First of all, who are people saying that I am? But, but then who do you say that I am? And Peter gives a, a, an amazing Christological statement in Matthew chapter 16. But then in a few verses later, he tells God that he doesn't know what he is doing. And be it far removed from you what you're intending to do. That's an amazing 
admission on the part of Peter, and in some ways, uh, I appreciate it because it is much like we as humanity, in one breath, we can say great things, in another breath, not so great things. And yet God still intends for Peter to be the spokesman and leader of the church, but only as long as he is connected to the will of God. And that's what we should desire in the house of God today is to be connected to the will of God. Amen. Not connected to the will of the world or connected to my own will, but be connected to the things of God. And so there are passages in the scripture in which there are statements of the amazing kind. And everybody at one point in their life will say something that they wish they could retract, walk back, strike from the record. And there are some of these in scripture. I'm sure that Peter, if he had the ability to say, I'd like to retract that, can we take that out of uh, what is going to be the scripture? Can we walk that back? Could I redefine some things and look at things differently? He would. And all of us have, has, has experienced some of those difficulties. You can look just about across every occupation, whether it's politics, entertainment, whether it's um, social media, whether it's online, whether it's economics, people say some amazing things. And so today I'm going to take the amazing things from the legal system, where these are individuals who have made statements in a legal system, courtroom environment, a lawyer is involved, a judge is involved, <clears throat> trying to get at something that is truth. And so, um, People make these statements. It's hard to believe that they do, but uh, all of us do at some point in time in our life. And so in this particular case, uh, one attorney or lawyer said, so you were gone until you return. In a question. So you were gone until you return. Lawyer said, now, Mrs. Johnson, how was your first marriage terminated? The witness said, by death. The lawyer said, and by whose death was it terminated? Questions, amazing admissions, statements. Were you alone or by yourself? The lawyer said, can you describe what the person who attacked you looked like? Witness, no, he was wearing a mask. Lawyer, what was he wearing under the mask? <laughs> Witness, his face? Now, you have investigated other murders, have you not, where there was a victim? Were you present in this court this morning when you were sworn in? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Maybe not emotionally, but physically, yes. Yeah. Lawyer, you saw that the stairs went down to the basement, right? Witness, yes. Lawyer, and these stairs, did they go up also? <laughs> uh, wow. <clears throat> Lawyer, this... Myasthenia gravis, does it affect your memory at all? Witness, yes. 
Lawyer, and in what ways does it affect your memory? Witness, I forget. Lawyer, you forget? Can you give us an example of something <laughs> you've forgotten? Was it you or your brother that was killed in the accident? <laughs> These are amazing statements, statements of the amazing kind. You were there until the time you left. Is that true? I like this one. How far apart were the vehicles at the time of the collision? <laughs> uh, Lawyer, doctor, did you say he was shot in the woods? Doctor, no, I said he was shot in the lumbar region. How long have you been a French Canadian? Okay, and the last one I had to do with an autopsy report. Doctor, before you performed the autopsy, did you check for a pulse? Witness, no. Lawyer, did you check for blood pressure? Witness, no. Lawyer, did you check for breathing? Witness, no. Lawyer, so then it is possible that the patient was alive when you began the autopsy. Witness, no. Lawyer, how can you be so sure, doctor? Witness, because his brain was sitting on my desk in a jar. <laughs> Lawyer, but could the patient have still been alive nevertheless? Witness, yes, it is possible that he could have been alive and practicing the law somewhere. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> These are admissions of an amazing kind. My, there's so many of them. We've read one in the scripture in which Peter makes an amazing statement. We can also read quite a few on the political spectrum. One of the famous and I think one of the best things that were ever stated was stated by Yogi Berra when he saw us during a baseball game a streaker ran out on the field and some reporter asked Yogi Berra, Yogi Berra was always known for just making really interesting comments. They asked Yogi Berra <laughs> if the person was male or female. And Yogi said, I don't know. They were wearing a paper bag over their head. People will say some interesting things, and the scripture is full of statements of the amazing kind. Not only do we have something that Peter uh, makes an interesting statement, but in Acts chapter 19, certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, make an amazing statement. They took upon themselves to call over an individual who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, and this was what was amazing about what they said. Now, mind you, they're exorcists. They are vagabond Jews. They are exorcists, and they are trying to cast out evil spirits. And so they said this. 
We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of this one Sceva, the Jew, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So they were making an, a statement, an amazing statement, using the name of Jesus when there was no relationship or connection to it, and because of it, it caused them abuse and harm. Statements in the scripture that cause us to ponder, to reflect. One of the greatest statements that you will ever find is found in Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 31. It's found on the lips of Moses when he returns to the Lord. God calls Moses up into the mountain. He gives them the pattern of the tabernacle. He spends much time in the structure and in the order. Moses, after that period of time, comes down from the mountain and there is a celebration that is going on because very, very soon, children of Israel having been taken out of Egypt into the promised land or moving toward the promised land, on their way to the promised land, have started to worship a false image, an idol, a golden calf. And Moses is upset with that, and he throws the tablets down, and he brings judgment upon the people. And once again, he reconvenes with the Lord, and he says to the Lord, these people have sinned a great sin, and they've made them gods of gold. And there is this conversation between God and Moses in which the Lord, Yahweh, makes the claim and the statement that I'm, I'm going to move this people away from me and I'll raise up another people that you can lead and direct and guide. And Moses makes a statement of the amazing kind. It's one of the greatest intercessory statements, intercessory prayer that you will find in the scriptures. Moses puts himself in between God and the people. And he says in verse 32 of Exodus chapter 32, he says, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Amazing statement that Moses makes when Moses himself gets very, very frustrated with the children of Israel. When they get out of Egypt, they're wanting the meat of Egypt, they're wanting the spices of Egypt, Egypt, they're wanting the flavoring of Egypt, and Moses has to deal with that. They complain about him bringing them into a desert to die. There's no water, there's nothing here, and, and Moses is constantly dealing with all of the frustration with that. But when it comes right down to it, he inserts himself into the equation, and he makes intercession for the people when God says something different needs to be done. Moses says, if, if you will forgive their sin, but if you don't, then strike me from the equation as well. This is an amazing statement that Moses gives. It's one of the most popular statements that you can come up with with prayer and intercessory prayer. And I think his intention was right in what he was saying because he places God, he puts the emphasis on God and the evidence on God. God, you're the one that brought these people out of Egypt into this place. And so if anything happens here, the onus 
is going to be on you. It's not going to be on the people because the people are the people and you're leading them out of Egypt and you're redirecting them. But if they are eliminated and they're gone and you judge them, then what you intended to do is going to fail. And it cannot fail because you're a God that doesn't fail. And so he inserts himself into the equation and he intercedes on the behalf of the children of Israel. I believe today we still need intercessors that pray for individuals that may not see or understand the bigger picture, but they know that somebody is praying for them. You can never, never discount the amount of faith and prayer that is connected to somebody. No matter what they seem like on the outside, God knows the intention and he knows the heart. And so if you're praying, just keep praying. If you're seeking God for somebody, don't stop because at some point God can turn things around in their life because somebody is constantly saying, hey, wait a minute, there's a people of God. There's a person that's weighed in the balance here. I'm going to pray for them and seek God for them because I want God to do great things in their life. And Moses becomes an individual that makes the statement of an amazing kind as he becomes the intercessor. God spends time with them, instructions on the building, offerings, the table of showbread, the furniture, the lampstand, tabernacle materials, the altar of burnt offering, the courtyard, the priestly garments, everything. And for Moses, that is not something that you can simply walk away from. And so he, he makes, he bridges the gap between God and the people. He becomes a, a symbol. He becomes a form of, he becomes an example of Jesus Christ because he becomes the mediator between God and man. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Moses becomes a reconciler. And so he steps out and he tries his best in his own capacity to save the people. What's amazing to me is Moses doesn't have the ability to save the people. It's, it's not within his grasp or within his power. Uh, being devout, it's the same way with us. We can't save anybody, but we can pray to a God that can. I can't forgive anybody's sins, but I can certainly pray to a God that I know can forgive every sin of every stripe, wash away, cleanse, and renew any, any body. That's the kind of God that I serve, and that's a God that I pray to, and that's what I'm praying for is revival among people that need salvation. I can't do it on my own. I wish I could. I wish I could force some people to be saved. I probably would do it. I can't do that, but I know that there's a God that's working around the boundaries in a person's life and he knows how to bring salvation to somebody it's not within your power it's not within your lineage it's not within your wealth it's not within your success it's not within your being devout it's not within programs it's not within psychology it's not within self-help it's not within money it's not within possessions nothing can fix the carnal nature that is on the inside of each and every one of us but there is a God that can fix that carnal nature that can renew things that have been severed that can put his spirit on the inside that gives power to walk all over the carnal 
nature of humanity. I'm preaching faith in this building here today. There is a God that is still in the saving business. There is still a Holy Ghost that empowers and strengthens. You talk about a statement of an amazing kind. It's when John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He's still taking away sin. Still giving people the opportunity to be redeemed. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18 says, For as much as you know, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. There's a God that redeems from the hand of the enemy. God became incarnate in Christ Jesus with the resolution that he is, was going to take the sin of the world and nail it to the cross. And John sees him coming. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Moses makes an amazing statement. It's a great statement. It's a statement of intercession. But ultimately, Moses can't do that work. It's a work that only God can do. You might not be able to do it, Moses, but God can do it. And he inserts himself into the conversation that causes God to take a course of action and a direction. I want to tell you today that there is a God that saves from the uttermost, he saves every tribe, every nation, every kindred, every people, every tongue. He stands before the throne. He is the Lamb of God, and there will be a multitude, a mighty multitude that no man can number, that will worship him and praise him and say with a loud voice, salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb, which provides a blood that washes and cleanses and renews. Nobody can do it like Jesus can. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. Nobody can do it like Jesus can. Hallelujah. Nobody, nobody. There will be a great multitude in heaven that no man can number. Not because of Moses or any other man died, but because God manifested himself in the flesh and died. We know it is him and it's not us. It's all about him and it's not us. You didn't say, let there be light, but he did. You didn't say, I am the door, but he did. You didn't say, I am the good shepherd, but Jesus did. You didn't say, I am the bread of life, but Jesus did. You didn't say, I am the resurrection direction but Jesus did you didn't say I am the way the truth and the life but Jesus did you didn't say I'm the vine and you are the branches but Jesus did God, how can we fail to rejoice having been freed from the oppressive bondage of slavery to sin? The scripture said, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free. 
indeed. We're not here today in the house of God under bondage, but we're here under liberty. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is nothing shackling my hands together. I can lift my hands, holy hands, without wrath and doubting. There is nothing binding my feet. I can magnify God and worship him in praise and adoration. Why? Because he's made an opportunity of salvation and strength to me. Statements of the amazing kind. Peter's statement. The sons of Sceva. Moses. 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 Praise God. He makes an amazing statement. And in some ways, I recognize it and value it. And in some ways, maybe it's just in my mind that I critique it at the same time because Moses said, if you'll forgive these people, but if not, blot me out. Maybe it's just selfishness on my part. Maybe it's not recognizing the value and leadership of what Moses does. Although I do know that. I understand he's one of the greatest leaders in the scripture. But one of the things that, that just nags on the corners of my memory and my mind is nothing should come between you and God. <laughs> Moses makes a statement of the amazing kind when he says, blot me out. Maybe just me, but I don't want anything coming between me and God. I want you all to know I love you. I love you all much. I pray for you. I intercede on the behalf of some that are struggling. Yes, I do. But I want to be saved. And I don't want anything coming between me and God. And so Moses allows some things to come between him and God in this statement. Amen. What comes between you and God? Your house or God? Your material possessions or God? Your family or God? We've already mentioned Job. Are you going to have a Job mentality that says, though he slay me? What a great juxtaposition between Moses and Job here. Moses said, I will not deny him even when I lose everything and even my body is afflicted. And his wife trying to, trying to get some kind of resolve. I don't completely blame her for making the statement that she makes. She just says, Job, why don't you curse God and die? This is terrible. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't understand any of this, but I'm trusting him. And there is, there is nothing, my comforters that come, Job's friends, Job's comforters, and tell him you're a sinner and tell him all this stuff. Job said, I came into this work, world naked. I'm going out of this world naked. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to praise him in every circumstance. There is nothing that's going to come between me and God. I, I have lost everything. I'm using pieces of pottery to try to get some kind of relief from the boils on my body and my skin. I am absolutely miserable. 
I look miserable, but you can't take away my walk with God. You can't take away my faith in God. We need that kind of faith in the world that we live in. It doesn't matter what the enemy may come to me. I'm not walking away. I'm not giving up. God has given to me a promise. He's pointing me to a promised land. I'm going there. million dollars or God, success or God, fame or God. Praise God, I pray for you, fast for you, go to God on your behalf. But I can't lose out with God because of you. And you can't lose out with God because of me. Amen. Praise God. Praise God, doesn't matter what the problem is. The problem may be rebellion, but don't expect me to become rebellious. Your problem may be pride, but don't expect me to become arrogant because I know that pride will lock up so many areas of life. It may be a critical negative attitude, but I'm not putting on the wardrobe of your critical fashion. Praise God. It may be that you can't praise and worship God, but don't expect me to fold my arms and sit in silence. He's done too much. He's done way too much for me. Praise God. Amen. Your problem may be immorality, but I'm not boarding that runaway train with you. Amen. These are, these are big things, right? But why sometimes do we let petty differences separate us from God? There, there should be nothing that comes between you and God. And sometimes petty things. You don't know what they said or what they did. Praise God. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 38. Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Paul said there is nothing that's going to separate me. Death not going to separate me. Life is not going to do it. An angel could appear. I'm not going anywhere. Principalities and powers, governments and structures, things I'm presently in or things I'm going to face tomorrow. No height, no depth, no any other creature come out of the woodwork. It can't separate me from the love of God. God's a God that is connected. God God's a God that has given everything to make sure that I could be saved. I'll tell you what is a statement of an amazing kind. is when God goes to Calvary and he comes to seek and to save that which was lost. And I want him to know in the house of God today, I'm here in 2020 and I want to make a statement if it's okay. I want to use the gavel and say, God, I want to serve you with everything in my heart and life this year. I'm not walking away way acquiescing I'm not leaving the principles and foundations of your goodness and your promises and your benefits but I'm here in the house of God and I'm worshiping you and I'm praising you I'm committed to you Amen. when you do that God does some amazing things and makes some amazing statements of his own and it's found here Let me just reflect just for a moment on our text because there's two statements that Peter makes and he gets rebuked for it. And there's a statement that Moses makes and then God makes a statement that's interesting. 
Peter says, you are the Christ. I think Peter understood and recognized Jesus was the Messiah. I think that's what he understood. He watched him do the miracles. He saw the power in his hand. He heard the teaching. We have not heard it on this fashion or form. And so he knew all of that. And he was seeing all of that. That expectation was much different than the Jewish expectation of what the Messiah was going to come and look like. The Jewish expectation is the Messiah was going to come and throw off any foreign domination and rule, whether it be Roman rule or any other rule, and would reestablish the kingdom of God and the kingdom of David like it was in its heyday, David and Solomon. And now Israel is under foreign domination. The diaspora, when they were carried off into Babylonian captivity, the southern tribes, the northern tribes into Assyrian captivity, they were dispersed around the world. There was no centrality anymore. There was a dispersion. That's why it's called the diaspora. And somehow this Messiah is going to come and reestablish things. And the way that the Jewish expectation was, was that it would be with a rod of iron. He would come riding in a horse of power and strength. It would be a white horse ruling with a rod of iron. He would crush the nations and he would reestablish. And so this was their expectation their messianic expectation. And Peter had enough understanding and knowledge and spiritual acumen to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You are the one that they are looking for, but you're not coming riding a, a, a white horse. You're coming riding a donkey and you're coming in humbleness and your kingdom supersedes the kingdoms of this world. So it's not about a political domination. It's not about geography. It's not about the temple. It's not about the land. It's not about the identity. It's not about any of these things. It's about you. Your God manifests in the flesh. And so in you is the fulfillment of everything. And so I understand and recognize that you are the Messiah. But I don't think he had his Christology completely understood because if he did, Peter's got some guts to turn around and rebuke him and tell him, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't do these things. It is only later that Peter can reflect upon and recognize and then probably with very much fear and horror recognize. I just looked at God and told him he doesn't know what he's doing. Isn't that kind of like us, though? That's why I kind of like Peter, because we do that sometimes. <laughs> we tell God, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I'll go get advice from somebody else, but you don't know what you're doing. No, God knows exactly what he's doing. And he's directing and he's guiding. And so Peter makes statements of the amazing kind. In this passage in Exodus, where Moses inserts himself and says, well, just blot me out if you're not going to forgive the people. God makes an amazing statement that I want to end with today. When he says to Moses, therefore now go, everyone say go, go. lead the people unto the place. Well, you could throw up a lot of things. What of the people's defective ways? What about the dealings with Pharaoh? What about the leading out of Egypt? What about the crossing the Red Sea? What about being fed man and et cetera, et cetera? God said, go lead the people to the place. I'm going to lead them to a particular place. It's going to be a place of milk and honey. That's not meaning literal milk and honey. It's talking about the flow of crops and livestock, 
the bees, honey, and livestock's milk. Milk and honey. There's a flow of livestock. Agriculture, it happens here in the Central Valley. You get bees, they plant the, the bees, then all of a sudden the orchards start to bloom. That's connected to livestock, agriculture. God's going to lead them into a place that he provides for them. It's going to be a place of vineyards, crops, wealth, fields you didn't plant. It's a promised land. I'm going to take you from strangers and foreigners. I'm going to make you and plant you in a land that is a promised land. Just go leave. This is an amazing statement because God, even though he at this point looks at the inadequacy of a people, when Moses inserts himself into the equation, God makes his own statement. He puts his own stamp of approval on it. And he says, Moses, go and lead. Doesn't matter what they've done. Doesn't matter what shenanigans they have created. I want you to go and I want you to lead. Doesn't matter if it seems like they're going to complain the entire way. There's a promised land. God does the same thing for us. We were strangers and foreigners, but he's made us fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Yeah, but what about all the hypocrites? He says, go and lead. Don't worry about everything around you. Just go and lead. There's revival that's going to take place. There's a renewing that's going to take place. What about them and what about them? Do you know where they came from? They were strangers and they were, they were this and they were that. But God says, my intention is greater than what you see. It doesn't matter what you see. God is able to do abundantly above and beyond what you could even think or ask. And he's in the revival business of taking lies, turning them around, planting them in the house of God, using them in the kingdom of God. And I'm so glad, so glad. That he does. That he does. I'm coming to bring you from ashes to beauty. Go and lead. Just go and lead. I'm going to take you from mourning to the oil of joy. I'm going to give you, instead of a spirit of heaviness, I'm going to give you a garment of praise. <laughs> I'm going to turn your mourning into dancing anybody in the morning phase God says go and lead you just that's a statement of an amazing kind yeah but God do you see the ashes that I'm in I see the ashes but I'm going to make it something of beauty I see the morning but I'm going to turn this around into dancing Isaiah chapter 61 and verse number 10 I'm going to take your rags of sin and I'm going to give you garments of salvation I'm going to remove the cloak of iniquity and I'm going to give you a robe of righteousness. Praise God. There is nothing that should come between you and God because there is a God that says go and lead. Just keep going. Praise God. Just keep going. Don't let any obstacle stand in your way. Praise God. Bartimaeus, don't let anybody stand in your way. Shout the loud. Zacchaeus, don't let anything stand in your way. Climb up in a tree. 
Praise God. A woman with an issue of blood, don't let the crowd stop you. Just get to Jesus because he's going and he's leading and we need to follow his direction and his lead. God's speaking. God's speaking to those who don't know him and he desires to take you to a different place. I'm thankful that the scripture makes a statement of an amazing kind that he loved you and you are willing and worth him dying for you that he's giving you an opportunity in the house of God today to come before him and say I'm going to walk out of here with things that are right this is the kind of God that we serve go 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 and leave be directed by my anointing and my powers we stand together today in the house of God his desire is to take us to another level statements of the amazing kind. Praise God upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Don't let anything come between you and God. Praise God. Don't let anything come between you and God. Well, I'm struggling so I'm just not going to show up at church. You're letting your struggles come between you and God. You need to get into the presence of God because that's where your strength comes from and your help comes from. Praise God. The strength of God and the hand of God is in this place today. Amen. I don't want the world to come between me and God, and that's a, that is a daily business. It's a daily walk with God. I can't let that encroach upon my walk with God. God, I'm here in the house of God today. Praise God. I've come here today with specific reasons amen I want to be drawn by you and strengthened by you praise God all over this sanctuary in conclusion I want you to lift your hands and lift your voice praise God and let's join together and say God lead us take us to another level go and lead you're directing us and you're leading us and you're guiding us praise God we ask that you would do it and strengthen everybody in this house today I give to you thanks and I praise you Praise God. I praise you and I give to you thanks. More than anything, I want you to direct my footsteps in my life.